Hey everybody, my name is Jesse Collings, and I want to tell you all about my show, The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast, here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. On The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast, we do a thorough analysis on the biggest issues and trends within the pro wrestling industry. We talk a lot about pro wrestling media, we talk a lot about fan culture and wrestling's place within general pop culture, and we talk about the broader influences that are shaping the way we discuss and analyze the pro wrestling industry. We've had some of the brightest minds in the pro wrestling intelligentsia on the show, including WrestleNomics host Brandon Thurston, both Rich Krejci and Joe Lanza from the Flagship Wrestling Podcast, Trevor Dame from the Through the Years Podcast, and a whole lot more. This isn't a show for hot takes. It's not a show recapping the latest episode of television. This is a show focusing on the biggest topics in pro wrestling and doing a deep dive on the real stories behind the surface level analysis you might find elsewhere. The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd really appreciate it if you gave us a try. Thanks. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Fast to Open the voice gate for November 28th, 2023. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network feed or on our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast catchers and applications. You can follow us on Twitter X at Open Voice Gate. If you'd like to donate to the show, click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our redcircle.com landing site. You click the red box that says sponsor this podcast, and you can set up a one-time or reoccurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, but we would like to thank all of our previous donors. I'm one of our, I'm one of your hosts, your old pal, Mike Spears, joined alongside as always, Case Lowe. And Case, how was your Thanksgiving? Oh my goodness, it was lovely. I, I am, I am in a family where we go out to restaurants on Thanksgiving. No, no cooking for us. It's very nice, very stress free. You show up, you pay money, eat food. We go to a nice restaurant. Nobody's arguing in the kitchen. There's no cleanup. Whole thing is great. Very, very nice weekend with my family, and then a nice weekend with my girlfriend and her and her mom. So just a, a good time all around. What about you, Mike? You know, uh, I got to get out of Texas for a couple days, go visit okay. the folks down in South Florida, which, you know, November weather in South Florida, that is thriving right there, where it's just 65 degrees, eating outside every day. And it's just was an absolute delight, actually. Uh, me and my partner getting to go down there, spending some time with my family was really nice. And then the the one thing like going there and back is just 
I, I feel like that I sound sick, even though I'm absolutely not just because of all the time on airplanes. Like you would think during COVID, we would figure out a way to get like the airplane air to get a lot better when we came back into it. No, no. not whatsoever. Mike, we learned nothing from COVID. I mean, no, no, nothing, nothing. I don't know if anything got better. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it, it, it's something where especially like as like we, we've talked about this a couple times on the show getting stuff together uh 2024 at least for like the two of us with like dragon gate content is a big year for us i'm getting stuff together from that i'm thinking about uh the last time we kind of had a project like this and the uh, rewind and rewatch project do it done in COVID, and i was like wow it, it that was two years ago like two and a half years ago but in a lot of ways it feels like a decade and also feels like yesterday I was talking to somebody. That's really funny you say that. I was talking to somebody this afternoon about, um, first of all, how much I enjoyed COVID unemployment checks because when COVID hit, I moved back in with my parents. I was paying no rent. I had no expenses, and I was simultaneously making more money than I had ever made before, and it was awesome, and it really helped me out in 2021 and 2022 when I was making no money, and uh, even though I was working, just working at a job that didn't pay me, uh, much at all. So I was living off of those unemployment checks and those kicked ass. But also, I mean, you and I talk about this all the time, the stuff we could do for this podcast, if we like, I always say I just want 28 hours in the day, if I just had a little bit more time, I could do so much more and COVID was great, because I was like, Oh, I have nothing going on. Let let me go ahead and rewatch every drink at USA show. That seems like a really good use of my time, actually. And as we plot out some stuff for this upcoming year, I, I have to be on it. I, I have stuff I want to do and not a lot of time to do it, which is a bummer. But the stuff that's going to get done is uh, exciting. I just laid the groundwork for something that will will hopefully be out in the first quarter of next year that I'm really, really excited about. It could end up being one of the cooler things uh, I've done in terms of Dragon Gate content. So hopefully that works out. Yeah, it. the thing that, that really gets me about it is, of course – it's we're cut next year is the 25th anniversary year 25th anniversary of the Torimon landing is January 31st and I'm just like oh that's 60 days and I have to get certain things done before that day and yeah <laughs> and that's what it really kind of is where where I'm at right now with that but that is something that's still 60 days case we still got some time on it that we've been away for the holiday, but we are back now talking about this real interesting end of November in Dragon Gate. But before we do that this week, Case, uh, while we were gone, the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame announced its 2023 class. We talked when the uh, ballot was introduced on the show about Dragon System uh, participants, just our general kind of ethos towards this case as a voter i was not a voter just our own kind of thoughts about it but now we have the inductees and yet again no dragon system nope it's getting i thought this year might that might have been shingo's year well i think and i'm counting the young bucks in this conversation i have a lot to say about the young bucks and we'll we'll tie it into the fact that they work dragon gate to to stay loosely on topic but you know the bucks unless Unless people are dumber than I thought they were, the Bucks will get in next year. And I do think there's upward momentum for Shingo. I, I think we're very close to approaching a reality in which Shingo is a Hall of Famer. The concerning thing is is Shima's 11% drop-off year over year. I, I don't 
I, I don't know what to do about that. I'm I'm a little stunned by the results, and I I get it. You know, the beauty pair deserved to be in the Hall of Fame. I'm glad they got in because I think the the reaction of the beauty pair not getting in would have been really annoying because they're, they're no doubters. But you know, like I said, up you know from the time the voting process started, they deserved to be in. I can only vote for three people though, and I really want to make sure that I vote for Shima, Shingo, and Ishi. Ishi gets in, Shingo rises huge, Shingo drops pretty, uh, Shima drops pretty big. The three candidates that are Dragon System related that are that were on the ballot this year, Bucks, Shima, and Shingo. I want to talk about all of them, but which do you want to start with? I think uh, Shingo is kind of the easiest one. Uh, when you look at how the uh, voting uh, rules changed in the three votes in Japan, it really seemed like that there were four or five viable candidates and with the beauty pair needing a that 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 was a correction that needed to happen like like that was something that i really wish that dave would have just said like you know what guys i biffed it i should have had ueda and to begin with and just not have them on the ballot and just let people move on and, and save that vote but with that you probably had four or five uh viable candidates and with ishii and the beauty pair taken out of it that i would think that would make Shingo Takagi, the strongest candidate going forward in Japan. Yeah, I thought what Dave said in his write-up was really interesting. He said, and I quote, Shingo Takagi should be in for all of the reasons that Ishii is in. Plus, he has been IWGP champion and Open the Dreamgate champion. If you argue Ishii is the better wrestler, you can, but you're splitting hairs. But among the top today, and uh, but both are among the top today and have been for a decade. Takagi even longer. There's a strong sentiment that Takagi is the stronger candidate because of what Ishii lacked as far as headlining the biggest shows and holding world titles. Takagi did that. Takagi held the IWGP title, had one of the best series of matches of all time with Will Ospreay, was Japan MVP, Tokyo Sports MVP, and most outstanding wrestler all in 2021. In Dragon Gate, he was a four-time Dreamgate champion, five-time tag team champion, and six-time trios champion. His match reviews from all key sources placed him top 10, and these are pretty comprehensive for the last 30 years, end quote. So I think Dave is even on board with voting for Shingo in the future, and perhaps a passage like that would have held more weight 15 years ago when it wasn't as easy to to consume Dave through short-form and rather long-form analysis. Now, I, I don't know how many people open The Observer and are even reading that sort of stuff, but it seems like even Dave is saying, like, well, if, we're, you know, if you guys are going to rally around Ishii next year, let's put that weight into Shingo. Yeah, and I, given what the electorate is, I feel like that's a pretty easy thing to convince. I, I, I feel like whereas, and I feel like this is a kind of a good time to shift over to Shima, it is something where I feel like we're kind of, unless there is a great reassessment of what Lucha Rest means to pro wrestling, which I guess that's really a war we have to lead. But unless that happens, I think it's just something where this electorate is just not going to give it the his case, at least the way I look at it, the proper judgment. And and I think that's also something that for a lot of this one uh, territory and the observer is going to have some I, 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 I don't want to call it like a reality perception gap, but I feel like that what the. What the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame will say about Japanese wrestling of this era, when we look back at it, I don't feel like it's going to be a complete accurate portrayal without someone like Shima in it. But it seems like that that's kind of the reality we're coming 
And it's a bummer because, you know, part of my whole thing these last two years with voting for Naito and Ibushi and Ishii is like, look, these were three central figures in the most profitable Japanese wrestling period ever for one specific company and the greatest in-ring period ever for any specific company. Like they were at, they were the Zenith, you know, they were the absolute peak. So those guys deserve to be represented in a hall of fame like this. And if you look at the Japanese landscape over the last 20 years, you know, the guys that have gotten in are the contemporary new Japan guys. And I, I'm not losing sleep over, you know, Katsuhiko Nakajima not being on the ballot over Kenta, not being on the ballot. Even if I might vote for Kenta personally, the whole here, like you said, is that there's, there's no one from the second biggest promotion in Japan a financial success, a promotion that had this tremendous cork and hall sellout streak. They've had big shows. They've influenced wrestling. You know, Shima's to me, one of the 30 greatest wrestlers to ever live. And I thought it was interesting that Dave noted in his analysis, you know, nobody has gotten in off of what they've done. And he highlighted ECW, ROH and Dragon Gate as the three promotions that no one from the hall of fame is in because of the work they've done in those promotions alone. And I, I, you know, I think in a way they're all very similar. They've all been these, you know, uh, very influential, very critically acclaimed promotions. The difference is that if Shima was in ECW, you know, he, he would have been in five years ago when he was on the ballot. If he had the career he had in ROH, I think he would be in by now, but he's in Dragon Gate and it's just, it's not getting the, forget the love, it's not getting the respect that he deserves. And for me, it's frustrating on a personal level. He fell... Uh, 11%, I believe it was. He was at 34% last year. He's at 23% this year. He fell 11%. And I don't know how else to sell Shima in another way from what I did on Rich and Joe's podcast on the flagship Patreon, because I felt like that was the most in-depth Shima Hall of Fame audio there's been. I felt like I did a really good job of explaining like everybody goes, oh, well, he was the, you know, the ace of Dragon Gate. But I don't think a lot of people understood what that meant. And I really just tried to walk people through that and explain his business acumen and explain uh, his influence and then some in-ring stuff with him that I feel gets overlooked. And I would have been, you know, I, I would have been thrilled had he just been flat. But for him to drop off like that is is upsetting. Now, maybe next year, you know, with the guys that are added to the ballot, I don't think any of those guys are getting in or will be any serious candidates. So maybe we, we see a rise in Shima again. But yeah, it's it's very frustrating at this point. And it's something where I wrote a piece uh, for Jesse Cowling's uh, Make the Case about uh, Shima's candidacy. And there's an aspect to his candidacy that I think that even if you are someone who primarily just watches major u.s wrestling you can't if you're not familiar with shima you look at the wrestlers that he was the scout for and he was the primary talent development person for and and you compare and contrast that to what other talent development has done over the last 25 to 30 years and in some ways he's peerless in that regard and i think that that's something also that yes it's the three categories and in, and positive uh going positive towards wrestling however dave wants to phrase it there is hit and miss at times and how you choose to interpret it but i feel like that when you look at monday night raw and AEW dynamite and you see what's happening up and down the card you kind of have to 
and you want to attribute to one person, you kind of have to give that to Shima. Yeah, I look, I he he might be the single most influential wrestling figure of the 21st century, you know, I, and I think the young bucks might, might be the guy that beat him, you know, and, and the bucks have their career because of Shima. He's just, he's just a slam duck candidate. You know, I explained why I think is a better candidate than Hayabusa, who I think is a good candidate. He is such a far superior candidate to somebody like Fujiwara. Uh, and I'm, I'm very glad that people pointed out this year that shoot style is arguably overrepresented in this hall of fame lucharesu has no representation outside of ultimo and shoot style is just stuffed to the gills i mean i i'm obsessing over the fact that kazushi uh, sakuraba had 70 percent of the vote when he got into the hall of fame that just seems absolutely insane when you look at it now you know it's just one of those deals where again if shima was a new japan guy if he was an all japan guy if he was a noah guy People like Fumi and these old school Japanese heads would be frothing at the mouth for a candidate like this. But he works in Dragon, and they've never gotten the respect they deserve from their own media, let alone the English speaking media. And we see, you know, we see it happen now. You know, 23 percent for Shima is, I think, a very bad look for the voting base. Yeah. And and something that I thought was a bad look for the voting base. Should we talk about Young Bucks? I, I would love to. I have a lot of thoughts on this. Well, I am just going to hand the ball over to to you, buddy. The Unbucks not inducted this year. 55.1% of the vote, for those that don't know, you need 60% to get in. Third with reporters, 15th with historians. I should note that Roman Reigns was 8th with historians. 13th with active wrestlers, and they did not rank with retired wrestlers who uh, had their, their their voting process. Uh, Randy Orton was number one, and Roman Reigns was number four for retired wrestlers. And I, I just I think it's appalling that the the greatest working tag team of all time, who might be you know if not Shima, the most influential wrestlers of the 21st century, and legitimate business successes, business stars, drawing stars. You know they they, they couldn't do more to get in the Hall of Fame. And to think that they got 55% of the vote is, I find it to be embarrassing. And, you know, I said on Twitter uh, the, the day that the voting came out, you know, it's it, it's embarrassing that the greatest tag team of all time didn't get in the Hall of Fame on their first ballot. And, you know, you start saying, oh, you know, but beer money not get in? You know, the Motor City Machine Guns not get in? And look, I say this knowing full well Alex Shelley might hear this. You know, sorry to out him, but man's, man's listened to the podcast before. I, there's no argument. In which anybody, unless it's Kawada and Tawei, uh, there's no argument that any other team is better than what the Young Bucks have done. The Motor City Machine Guns' best matches are against the Young Bucks, and the Bucks worked for 15 years longer at a higher level than them. We can't do these joke responses to something when something like this, where I care about the Hall of Fame, and I get some people don't, but I, I think it matters. I think it's important. I like being a part of the process. For them not to get in first time around, mainly because of retired wrestlers i'm just i'm appalled by it i i can't believe even if they were close that they didn't get in i just love the fact that of course retired wrestlers randy orton's the pick like god like like that's the mentality right there when it comes down to it and it, it it's something at least for me that when i look at the other wrestling hall of fames like you have waterloo and you have trying to remember what's the one that's what they call the one up in in upstate new york uh, not the cauliflower alley club no 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 the, it, it's just like the actual physical locations for hall of fames like they they gear towards certain things the wwe hall of fame 
is a media prop. And this is one that actually for a while, you know, is like the one you could look at as like the most clear and fair one. I would say like the one thing about the one up in Waterloo, Iowa, that is, is that that's a focus towards one wrestlers who more often than not had an amateur background and something like that. Whereas this one, I feel like gets more of a wild breath. And then when you're not acknowledging reality, it is something that like Shima, it, it, it kind of calls into question, at least when, when you're able to just basically defenestrate it by saying, the Unbucks are the greatest working tag team of all time. Why aren't they in on the first time they launch the company? They launch basically two companies. If you want to think about uh, Ring of Honor in 2012 to where it was before, it just becomes ridiculous at that point. I mean, I think there's a there's a large percentage of wrestling fans out there, some of whom I I you know are not like mouth breathers. Like there's intelligent wrestling fans out there that I don't think realize, even if you and I don't like what AEW is becoming the undoubted business success that is AEW and it's spearheaded in part by the box. Yeah. And it, it, it's something where, yeah, the fortunes of AEW feels completely different as we are entering December, 2023 versus where it was in 2021, but they're still going to get another contract. They're still, it, it's still going to be a company that is, the most viable number two and a more than a generation and that's on their backs and in any other case where they've built up that kind of competition those those candidates get in the hall of fame i i'm just i'm blown away by it and it really got me thinking as you know we record this 24 hours removed from cm punk's dead behind the eyes i'm not here to make friends i'm just here to get paid promo and, you know, I, I not new for any, you know, returning listeners of the show, you know, had just how disgusted I get by the glad handed media that is, you know, just ready to eat up whatever whatever WWE offers. I'm I'm constantly amazed at how the elite completely and utterly broke people's brains in a way that I don't know if we totally analyze correctly. And I, I, I tweeted this out when Punk returned, but like. The amount of people that were like, oh, finally, he has come home like this great wrestling mind can now be himself in world wrestling entertainment. The fact that the elite have forced people to incorrectly rewrite history to where the WWE is this beacon of pro wrestling history and tradition is something that I can't stop thinking about. And it, it to me, it's like a great influence of the Bucks. It's like they actually brought forth what, you know, for four years, you know, forget maybe the last six months, but for four years was this relevant, it, relevant and interesting mainstream American wrestling promotion. Again, in part by the Young Bucks. And now, like, uh, they're looked at, I, I just, I, I can't believe the public perception of these guys sometimes. And especially when you compare it to, like, Oh, well, you know, Vince, Vince did it the right way. Like Vince is a real wrestling promoter. Tony Khan, you know, he doesn't know what he's doing. It's like, holy shit, we've completely lost the plot on how we got here. Like history is just either misremembered, misinterpreted, or has been completely rewritten in a way that doesn't reflect reality at all. And I'm just blown away by the entire thing and the mix of the retired wrestlers, you know, completely shunning the bucks from their ballot. And then, you know, the CM Punk stuff over the weekend, I mean, it's greatly upsetting to me. I think, like, the the thing that kind of got me about the Punk stuff, and 
like yeah there's a little bit of like i feel like that it was not just that like the elite like broke people's brains it, it is something that when you like added in an emotional presence like punk returning and then now going back to wwe and how manufactured it, it kind of was like like it it, it it's manufactured at the end of the day and i just just kind of sit back and i kind of like start laughing at it. it's like oh everyone kind of forgets that vince was handed his territory by his dad oh and, no nobody is in no no one knows that like i don't want to say no one knows right. that it's just you know it doesn't matter to people the whole thing just blows my mind well well it's it's manufacturing history it's the end of wrestling i mean it, it, it we have reached this point where I don't know if it's necessarily – I like this comp, and I've used it before, but we've reached this point where AEW and imitating WWE has shown that WWE's model of just completely going business to business and premium live events, and the most valuable thing is not the fan. The most valuable thing is the business thing. That's the actual stakeholder there has kind of been proven as the – uh, as like the final form of wrestling promoting like where where can it go from here and while all this is happening everyone's brain's broken about cm punk i well what did you think about that promo oh gosh uh well first off you, you know i don't touch the poop but no uh, I, and and by the way if you if you sat down and watch three hours of raw do better come on guys come yeah, on uh, come on so i think that uh, like i said on twitter x earlier that what were people expecting at yeah. the end of the day? Like everyone's like, Oh, he's going to go in spicy. It's like, did y'all not notice where Tony Khan said, I'm not sidestepping this. I just legally cannot talk about this. If Tony Khan cannot legally talk about that situation, then where in the hell can CM Punk talk about it legally? So there was that. And then the thing that gets me about Punk is that when he has decided to, to adopt the hockey persona, that like he aggressively did after the pipe bomb promo where it wasn't necessarily something he really ever talked about before 2011 and going in and talking it the way he said the word barn just <laughs> drives me insane like it, it is something where like he was so proud of himself for saying it that way and i was just like what are you what are you man i look i'm i'm blown away by the entire thing you know, three years ago, I would talk on this podcast and, you know, uh, shows I did with Alan Forel and just, you know, whenever I had the chance to talk about punk, about how wrestling was better with him in it than, than without it, without him. And, you know, when he came back, I was, I was at the United Center the night he came back and I've never, I've never been in a louder building before. And I've been to some things. I've been to some cool things. I've never heard the noises I heard when punk returned to wrestling and, and threw brawl out. It was just, it was fucking awesome. And it was like, this guy's cool. I'm glad that he's back. I love his mind. And it has never been the same post brawl out. And, you know, when he came back, it wasn't the same, but I was still like, well, you know, it's punk and I like what they're doing on collision. And I, you know, all right, like I'm, I'm going to ride this until the wheels fall off. And then the wheels fell off. And then, you know, I see this guy come out on YouTube, of course, not watching live, could not be suckered into that, but I see this guy come out, somebody who was my my childhood idol. You know, I'm straight edge because I watched a CM Punk documentary when I was 13. And I was like, well, that's cool. And 10 years later, here I am. You know, it's it's still greatly impacting my life. And I watched a guy who was so uncool cut that promo. And it just blew my mind. I really, 
I was so startled by it. And it's so sad to think, you know, to, to tie it all the way home. Like sometimes I get really bummed out when I see Shima wrestle in front of a really small crowd, because even if, you know, Shima, much like CM Punk is not exactly an upstanding citizen. And, you know, this is probably karma coming back to get him in one way or another. It's a real shame to see Shima's career putter out the way that it has. And, to think that this is probably the last thing that punk will ever be involved with. And you know, it'll fizzle. It'll either, it'll either fizzle or he'll become a mid quarter. That's irrelevant. And I don't know which is sadder, but both are sad. And it's just so numbing to think about. Yeah. It's, it, it's something with where it became very clear with me at brawl out that wrestling society passed by this guy. And yeah, and and it's not just like a negative towards him. It's just like see uh oh I have friends who know that my favorite wrestler is Akira Tozawa. Like I'm pretty open about that case. You've known about that pretty much ever since we've done the show. Yeah. And their favorite thing to do is to drop clips of him doing uh uh Alpha Academy uh Pringle spots and like the commercial stuff like this. And it's it's something where like for Akira Tozawa, given how everything's happened with WWE and how that system is, he's got himself made. It's something that it bums me out on an existential level, but it's something that it, it, it's like a fun little jab to do that to me, to drop those clips at it. Imagine seeing Punk backstage and those sorts of things, because that's where that, that's where the puttering out gets real depressing. Oh my God. It's just, it's just terrible. It's a, it's a bummer. I, I get so annoyed by the like, like, I know people in my own life that are fired up about this. They're like, oh, my God, I can't believe he's back. And it's just like, what, what's he like? What's he going to do? Wrestle Seth Rollins? I don't give a shit. I don't want to see that. I don't want I don't want to see Seth Rollins wrestle ever. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I guess like the thing about like the, the the thing that really gets me down about more of it is just like I have reached a certain point where I just don't want to have an opinion about Sam Punk anymore. I, I'm just, I, fe- I felt that way for a while. And then like during brawl out discourse, I was like, all right, I've had enough of this, but I just, I liked seeing the guy wrestle. Cause I, I always thought it was interesting. You know, I think the MJF stuff he did, it was just phenomenal. Like that's what I want out of wrestling. I want that. And I want cool trios matches. And you know, he's not, he's not going to do that here. You know, it's just a, his career is going to suck until the end. And it's just such a bummer. Well, case you know where we can talk about some cool trios matches. Well, can can we can I say one more thing in the Hall of Fame real quick? Oh, absolutely. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, so people, so people know that are either voting or not. So Shima and Shingo will remain on the ballot. The people getting added to Japan next year are Asuka slash Kana, uh, Kento Miyahara, which is so dumb. Miyahara is in the midst of a really interesting run of his career. There's no, no, no one should be forced to vote or not vote for him for another five years. Uh, but it's Asuka, Kento Miyahara, Yoshihiro Takanama, uh, Takayama, Zack Sabre Jr., and Kochi Yoshizawa, who was a Japanese historian. Any thoughts briefly on those names uh, that are that are getting added to the Japanese section? I am livid that Zack Sabre Jr. is getting added when Misaki Mochizuki has never been on a Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame ballot. Yeah, but that, that, that's I, my okay, take. Zach's another one. Like, why am I? I don't want to think about Zach right now. Give, I want to think about Zach in ten years because I think there's there's interesting stuff there with him, but not now. I I, I really wish Dave would raise the the voting age to forty and not thirty five. I think that would help things. So, 
those are the guys from Japan. I, I don't know. I don't envision voting for anybody. I love Takayama. I'll take a look at him, but I, I think he's a hollow, very good guy. The historian um, is someone that I think will do surprisingly well. Because yeah. I know I, I, I know of who that is. If it is who I think it is, like, I apologize, not No, it's, it's Dave, Dave's old friend. He passed away either right. earlier this year or late last year. But he was basically responsible for almost all uh, Japanese wrestling coverage in North America because he would just send stuff. Like, like just out of the goodness of everything that's wanting it to be covered. I don't know if he was really the, the trader, but I know he was the photographer that would always get stuff out to both Dave and then also to PWI and stuff like that. And I feel like that he might do surprisingly well because of that. The the thing I want to bring up here in terms of the Hall of Fame is that Gran Hamada is back on the ballot. He is not in the Japan section. He is in the Mexico section, which makes my life a little bit more difficult, although I think it might actually make Hamada's life easier. I could see that. I think the, so. Yeah, I think, so. I, I yeah. think everybody I, – I, I didn't see a lot of people say that. I think they were bummed out that he was in Mexico, and I was like, I, I don't know. It might, it might actually be better for him. So we have a year to talk about this. We don't need to do a lot of Hamada stuff right now because there's a lot of Dragon Gate stuff to talk about. But just off the top, Mike, and this is how I think about the Hall of Fame sometimes. This is real, legitimately, honestly, how I think about the Hall of Fame. If you had to describe to Jim Ross who Grand Hamada was and why he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, how would you do that? Fuck. Okay. <laughs> this is honestly, <laughs> like, when, I, when I'm talking about Shima in the Hall of Fame, more often than not, I am framing it as how could I get Jim Ross to care? Yeah, no, that that's a that that's the right way to think about it. And, and that does like, oh gosh, like like this is something like where like people or like friends and family like like think that like when I do like wrestling coverage, they think it's like sumo wrestling. Like, <laughs> like it's like, like this is not not too far down that road. So uh Grand Hamada should be in the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame, JR, because when you look at how wrestling has evolved and bringing uh, facets of of wrestling across the world, no, uh, with the exception of Mil Mascaris, there's probably no one who's been as influential about bringing, uh, bringing Lucha Libre into Japan and by process of what he created in Japan essentially launched an entire branch of wrestling just like Fujiwara and Shutsu. I think that's very fair. You know, the thing with Hamada is I think he could, he would be very close to getting in on work alone. I think he could get in on influence alone. And then you realize that he actually has this incredible drawing record in Mexico in the 70s and 80s. And you go, oh, okay, so he's kind of a slam dunk in all three categories. Maybe not a Hall of Fame draw, maybe just not quite a Hall of Famer on entering alone. But you factor in the influence, which is a, it cannot be overstated. I mean, Hamada, Hamada would do things in like 1984 that would be seen as progressive today as a wrestler. You know, he was an, an ambitious promoter who is, you know, a really responsible for bringing lucha culture not not luchadors but lucha culture to japan uh and that led the way for michidoku pro and then osaka pro and toriyaman and dragon gate and here we are today talking about this on the podcast but uh he is gonna be i think the strongest candidate on the ballot other than maybe shingo next year and the bucks i i would say if you've never seen hamada or want to know more about him i'll throw two things your way one 
You can go on YouTube right now. There is a two out of three falls Gran Hamada match. It's Gran Hamada versus Pero Aguayo from 1990. I would start there and just focus on the fact that that match existed in 1990 and how far ahead of the rest of, of the rest of the wrestling world that match was. That is your your chapter one introduction for Hamada. And then for anybody listening, like I plan on doing a lot of Hamada stuff next Hall of Fame season, even if I don't vote in Mexico, I'm not sure I'm going to yet. But if there's like specific things where you go, what about this with Hamada? What about that? Match recommendations, influence, whatever. Please let me know. I'd be more than happy to tackle specific questions people have because Hamada should have been in a decade ago, and I'm very glad Dave put him back on the ballot. Yeah, it's one of the things that, at least for me, uh, two years ago when we were doing the GWE with Alan and all of that, really exposing myself and getting in deep with Grant Hamada was the walking away from that became very clear that Gran Hamada was not just a wrestling observer, Hall of Famer, Hall of Fame level wrestling personality. He quite possibly is one of the 20th greatest wrestlers of all time. Very and, much so. And it's something that I, we should do like a special Gran Hamada show sometime next year. Just uh, talking about trust that. Trust me, I am all for it. <laughs> should we talk about these, these last few weeks in Dragon Gate finally? Yeah, because it was a great week in Dragon Gate too. Yes, yeah, so Dragon Gate over the uh, over our time off, basically they had a one network show. This was in Kunamoto, Ginki Horiguchi's twentieth uh, anniversary exciting battle, and then a lot of just general house show loops. They had their uh, October trip to Okinawa this time. It was not on the network. The show they did with uh, Ryukyu Dragon Wrestling Pro Wrestling is on the Ryukyu Dragon YouTube channel, I think. I think they did their live stream of that, but we had a YouTube upload for that this time. Instead, we had a, a remainder of a loop really around that western part of Japan, including a Kaito Nagano return and homecoming. But uh, the most prominent thing, I believe, is Ginki Horiguchi's 23rd anniversary show in his hometown of Kunamoto at Kunamoto Joe Hall. 55, uh, 551 fans. Uh, before we get into this show, oh, or just our big takeaways from it, Case, what were your thoughts about this anniversary exciting battle series for Ginky uh, finalizing in a, a network show from Kunamoto in a very loud venue? Like, Kunamoto was hot that night. Yeah, I think, so on the Dragon Gate website, when you look at attendance, it'll say, like, Super No Vacancy, Full House, or Full House. I think this one said, in parentheses, very full which I just like. I just like thinking about attendance. I was like, oh, it's pretty, eh, pretty full in there. This show is about two hours in length. You should watch this as a two-hour wrestling TV show. It was phenomenal from start to finish. No matches that I put in my notebook, but just from opening bell to closing, what a fun show with a red-hot sort of pre-pandemic sounding crowd. I love this. Yeah, and it was something at least. So Dragon Gate had their previous uh, only other network show was in was in Cork and Hall uh, the with the uh, uniting of Big Hug. But we kind of had a a little bit enough of a break where we could step away and see where things were going. And I feel like going into this last month of the year, everything feels a lot. At least if Kunamoto is any is an indication and of course this is Ginky's hometown there was a lot of new things happening on this show and happening on this tour but it it was something where i had one match i went notebook on case but 
and nothing on that show is below a solid three and two hours that were just a it flew by and leading to the just incredibly fun m2k versus almost do fixer uh main event uh with a uh, ginky horiguchi in his hometown uh teaming with dragon kid and rio saito versus misaki mochizuki susumu mochizuki and zushi kanda just fun stuff all throughout yeah that, that's a that's a great match to highlight up top because i don't I don't have extended thoughts on any of those guys. We'll talk about Moshi towards the end of the podcast, but you know, for all of the, all of the YouTube uploads and then this show, you know, these guys were largely contained to just this match. And it's one of those deals where, you know, I'd I'd probably give it three and a half stars, but it's not, this is one of those matches where that doesn't matter. If you've ever had love for dragon gate, whether it's contemporary, whether it was five years ago, whether it was 10 years ago, whether it was 20 years ago, there was just something so right about this match. And it's one of these things that Dragon Gate just does better than, than other promotions. You know, New Japan will recognize anniversaries. They'll celebrate these sort of things, but they don't celebrate it quite like this. And this is just where Dragon Gate seems to know their core audience and hammer home, you know, everything matters. Your fandom matters. Thank you for being here. Here's just a treat. Here, Here's just a match for the boys and it was such a damn good time yeah it was something also where in this venue since it was a network show it was a hard cam and the hard cam was on the stage where they were entering and with just with the way that it was laid out where the uh well we could see locker room uh sellouts during the show and there was a lot of it during this match and for me at least during like these shows and especially like youtube uploads these are the matches that i really walk away with having like the warm feelings about and more so than anything else seeing ginky horiguchi in his hometown with his big anniversary match happening and just seeing someone not only just like do it for the boys but just be able to kind of be an ego monster and just get the crowd to do whatever he wants because he's so over i that's one of my favorite things in wrestling case is when someone has such control of an audience that they are just taking them on the ride that's what this match was it was ginky horiguchi deciding to take everyone on the ride yeah i feel like it's been a long time since we've seen this version of ginky because you can look at his career through like you know there's the do fixer era where he's just a, he's a great wrestler and he's a great mind but he's he's also you know he's super athletic he's super quick he's this that the other thing you know into the 2010s through maybe 2016 like okay genki is a great wrestler but he's a better mind you know but both are there you know a lot of times i think that's the peak of genki and then you have the last like five years or so where his body's not there and he broke down and he broke down hard and fast but his mind is there so every once in a while genki can suck you into a match because he's genki horiguchi and he's forever underappreciated and we haven't seen it in a while but this was one of those matches where it was just like, God, this guy, look, he has the advantage of working in front of his hometown crowd, but not everybody can pull out reactions like that. He is just such a special wrestler. Uh, you know, I was thrilled just to plug it one more time. You know, if you go to my Twitter at underscore in your case on voiceswrestling.com this year, I talked to Genki about 20 years removed from El Numero Uno 2003, which was his big coming out party and. You know, it, it made the backslide from heaven, which you still see relevant in a match like this. And God, he's just he's forever underappreciated. What a genius wrestler. 
and I love seeing stuff like this, like you said, where it's like, you know, his body's not there. He's moving at, ha- you know, he's moving half as fast as he was five years ago. And he was already slowing down at that point, but that didn't stop him from being just this completely uh, insane, charismatic, magnetic performer in a match like this. Yeah. And it, it it's something where like, I remember stalkers homecoming match earlier this year where like you get to see a little aspect of that. But when you kind of get to see something here where at least for me, case I remember for years pulling up I Hardy DG and reading about these Kunamoto shows and reading about like oh Ginky's homecoming is such a big deal and being able like to see this like momentous one and this being the match the way it is with the five guys that it had to be these five guys in this match. I mean you have Maraha Asapa as well as a do fixer sort of thing happening with it. Dragon Kid has a cool half Hayabusa, half uh, Dragon Kid mask on against M2K. Like, it, it, it's how it had to be. And it was something that, at least for Kunamoto, sending the crowd home with that after the show that they had, it just felt like the appropriate thing. Uh, elsewhere, uh, what else on the card w- would you want to talk about next? Let's go, let's go top to bottom. Let's start with the opener and just sort of go from there. Um, and as uh, if I have thoughts on guys, what, what we're going to do here is we're going to use the basis of the Kumamoto show to talk about the, the weeks these guys had. Cause there was, I mean, there was what five or six YouTube uploads this week. It'll be all encompassing. So when there's names that I want to bring up, we will hit on those names, but we'll do it through the order of this show. Yeah. They had six shows in six nights. Yeah, It was, God. it was something where now they are. They got a couple days off before they're about to go to their Sapporo swing and then straight into a Corkin. So do, it, do you want to talk about real quick? And I, I present this topic to you unexpected. You can choose to decline. And I promise everybody listening, I am bringing this up in the most agnostic way possible. I don't mean I, I, I don't mean any harm I am just simply pointing this out because it's something that I saw Mike talking about earlier today. Do you want to talk about the Dragon Gate schedule in comparison to the Stardom schedule real quick and just the issues that Stardom is facing? And again, I'm not I'm not doing this to be a dick. I think Stardom's in a really interesting position right now. Uh, But I understand that some people might think I'm being disingenuous or being a dick because I bring this up. I'm not. I just thought Mike offered really interesting insight into this earlier today when we were talking about it with somebody else. Yeah, so Dragon Gate, a part of this episode and why we're doing this kind of in this format, it's almost like a wrestler buffet edition of this, is because over the holiday, Dragon Gate, they did their Okinawa swing the week before, but then they were on the road from the 21st until the 26th. As we've talked about uh, a lot on the show, and just in case people don't really comprehend this, Dragon Gate, with the exception of CMLL, who has five or six different venues, Cubs will let me know how many actually they have, but they six venues that they own that are running their shows four or five nights of a week. Outside of CMLL and WWE, who has two or three different tours operating at one time, different brands, Dragon Gate runs more wrestling than anyone else in the world. And it's been that way essentially since 1999 when Alan Forel talked about Susumu never missing a month of wrestling and posted his cage match page, you essentially got to see how much you work if you were a Dragon Gate wrestler. And that comes in 
kind of as a contrast to stardom who stardom has had this huge injury issue that's that's popped up this fall starting during the five-star grand prix i'm trying to see where someone had the full list of all the injuries but essentially the whole entire like half of the promotion has it has been on the injury list off and on since the summer and part of that is because that the startup model has drastically changed under bushy road ownership and part of that is massively long tournaments the five-star grand prix 2023 which was nicely done in three months of this year but also the fact that they do a lot of one-off pay-per-views and I, I'm trying to see the exact tweet from someone that they translated this. The, there was an investigation about these injuries, case, And let's see if this uh, tweet is still up about this, where the new president of Stardom is. That Stardom is moving to one pay-per-view a month and restructuring the schedule to reduce chances of injury for the wrestlers, including a wrestlers association and union that will basically be the wrestler's voice. Kind of like like that sort of stuff. But... The overall thing that you hear is that stardom is running way too much. And it's not necessarily the case. Stardom still is running less than Dragon Gate, running less than a lot of other promotions. But it is something where it does seem that it is mostly the idea of there's no like shows off in the manner of you have to go hard basically from a tournament into this pay-per-view back to the tournament and not getting like the, the six-man tag where Shun Skywalker does nothing and takes like three bumps but just brawls and is awesome, those don't really happen in stardom. No, I do think that's an interesting point, though, because we're now essentially at two full years of getting these YouTube digests. And I would say my public perception of Dragon Gate, and I talked about this last year, I think it was SFM50, we were talking about Shun Skywalker because somebody really disagreed with the placement of Skywalker and something that, that one of the voters brought up was like, yeah, but look at how hard he works on some of these Dragon Gate house shows. I think before we were getting these digests, like there was a perception that no one's doing anything. Th these, these Dragon Gate house shows are just aggressive nights off. And now we see that, you know, they certainly cycle in guys that are, are not trying as hard on these shows, but I mean, there's still some full on 100% level Drangate matches on these house shows. And it's just very, I, I, to me, the perception of what a Drangate house show is has drastically changed over the last two years. Yeah. And it's changed in a way where now I get excited when I see on a house show, okay, Shun Skywalker is going to have a match of Ryoya Tanaka. Yeah. Because buckle I'm up, like, baby. Buckle up. Like, and we'll be talking about that in a couple minutes, but I, I think so. Sardom over the last three years, I, I pulled this up here. I'm just trying to get it pulled up. Went from 101 shows in 2021 under COVID restrictions, uh, 118 shows in 2022. Again, mostly under restrictions, but restrictions were loosening. And then to date this year, uh, 129 shows. That's not, well, when you like look at that, like you're talking about escalation, that's not necessarily a big escalation as, uh, if you think about like, oh, you're they're running so much more, it does seem to be that it's just how they are st structuring these things to me, more so than anything else. But especially when you like look at Shun Skywalker has had almost uh, 530 matches over the last three years. Jesus. Yeah. Whereas someone like Lady C, for example, is someone who just got injured in stardom. 
uh, has a neck injury and will be out until after the 10th. Her last three years, after saying be 101, 118, 129 is their show schedule case, 97, 101, 113. Gotcha. So, and I, I don't know, I don't know this, obviously. I don't know if you know this, but my my understanding is that the stardom injuries are top stars, like Yamato and Shun-level type people. Is that true? Right. Yeah, so we, remember in September, the injury bug that was yeah. hitting uh, Ryu Fuda, uh, Kaito Nagano, Tien, and all of that? Boy, Fuda disappeared. Oh, holy mm. shit. I, sorry to... <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry, but wow. Ryu Fuda was like a guy for a second. It, boy, right, did yeah. he, I thought he was like coming back soon, and I guess not. Dude, those kinds of like surgeries with like pens take a while to heal for like your oh, hands. Boy, like, okay, all right. But, uh, so, sorry, injury I, I, bug in September. But but I had that thought too during during the <laughs> okay, during the coverage this right. week about wow. Uh, remember Riafuda? It was right as um, uh, Kaito Nagano returned. That yeah. that popped in my head. But while like all those kind of things were happening, and of course uh, Minorita and like this, those are people that other than Minorita being a champion and Fuda being in a program not necessarily things that hurt your bottom line as much like BB Hulk, BB Hulk doesn't really matter for the company, you know, and the greater scheme things when they go to Sapporo, he matters, but day in, day out this thing. And, I, um, and I'm not even sure he matters there as much anymore. I'm right. very interested. Like Hulk's in big spots on these upcoming Sapporo shows. And I'm really curious to see what they do. Yeah. So, uh, they lost, uh, Tom Nakano, like, they're a red belt champion, they're top champion. They lost the person who was going to win the five star and the person that they were going to book to uh, as the backup. They they went out to it, it, it's been murder basically on that roster. It's it, it, it is bad, it, it is legitimately yeah. bad. And, and I asked that because we've been talking off air about some of these stardom attendances. And again, I'm I I I want to make it so abundantly transparent. I'm not doing this to rub salt in the wounds, but I'm so curious because. You know, I, I I hear all the time about these these big stardom shows, and then they did just over a thousand fans in the big Osaka, and then they just did, which I thought was more damning because this is a, a a market they're very competitive in with Dragon Gate and with New Japan, but like they did four thirty two in the Nagoya Conference Center, Congress Center, and that like those would be bad pandemic numbers for for some companies and and again i'm not it's no analysis other than man those numbers are really low i'm trying to understand why that is because i don't follow the product and you know if they lose top stars they lose top stars i get it but i've the the stardom numbers outside of cork and they've had a few lately where i've i've opened it up i've opened up the attendance and i've had to double check it because i think surely they couldn't have done that and uh, unfortunately for them they have and it's something where I think uh, we were talking about another number that was happening for New Japan, especially in that market. It, it This is more and more what we've been saying about the uh, wrestling industry in Japan was not going to spring back when, as everyone was expected. And it's only gotten progressively kind of worse and worse over the last uh, six months, it feels like. I, I find the fact that Cork and is not feeling the need to progress past 1400 tickets as a sellout to be really interesting. Just a, you know, almost a year removed from any restrictions, you know, a Dragon Gate's doing 1200, 1300 new Japan can pack the place for a few shows here and there. Stardom gets close. All Japan's done great numbers all year, but the, the great number is 1200 now, not 1600. And I, I'm just continuously kind of 
waiting for the demand to increase and it just never does you know it's just where we're at in the in the industry now and it's uh it's not good yeah and it's something where i mean ddt 700 starting their uh their uh, king of kod tournament it's not it's not just like us like picking like stardom like it's something that when you look at the entire landscape it's not very encouraging no and that, it, and look i i harp on the noah thing all the time where it's like we talk about schedules noah doesn't run shows like noah's run like 90 shows this year and most of them are in tokyo and i feel like no one no one is like as blown away by that as i am where i'm just like they're just never doing anything i don't know how if you're not like goshi or kaito kiyomiya who i guess you know he's, he's working new japan to to supply some dates now I don't know how you're a no wrestler and you make a living because Noah just doesn't run shows. Yeah, and and when they run shows, it's like Osaka, Kyoto. It's and it's places that if you aren't a if you are a contracted Noah wrestler, okay, yeah, sure. But if you're someone like Shuji Kondo, you you already work those places. And if you're someone that's a Shuji Kondo fan, you've already had options to see those them and those places too. Yeah, it's it's very very strange. So that that is everybody but Dragon Gate. Let's go back to the show real quick because we got a bunch of Dragon Gate stuff I want to talk about. Yeah. So the opener in Kunamoto was a unaffiliated versus Natural Vibes eight man tag. Uh, Yamato, Don Fuji, Kagator, and Punch Tomonaga representing the unaffiliateds versus KZ, Big Boss, Shimizu, Strong Machine J, and UT of Natural Vibes. Shimizu got the win with a machine killer uh, into an aided big boss press onto Tomonaga when the natural vibe chain train started chugging towards the end against old punch. He was just completely steamrolled. Very enjoyable opener. Like I said, if you approach this show, like it's a, like it's TV wrestling, I think you're going to be thoroughly delighted by, by what you see. And this was just a good way to start the show. I don't have any extended thoughts on these guys other than I enjoyed this match. Yeah, uh, Don Fuji uh, was was an, a delight, like being the TV character that he was. Like yes. he broke up a pen by throwing a water bottle, and and Kachi San was like, "Man, really? Did you do that?" Like that's that's, that. that, that's that Tenru training coming into effect. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, after that, we had our first of two singles matches: Yuki Oshioka defeating uh, Jason Lee with the flashbang in nine forty two. This was a tidy, hard hitting sprint. Oh God. I mean, this was, this was a ton of fun. It, it was a good reminder. You know, I remember like Ray day Prejas time this year, you and I were talking about how Jason Lee went from this kind of swanky technical wrestler, like really fast, you know, just always on the right spot at the right time guy to he is now humongous and he now hits people really hard. That has become his thing this year. Jason Lee 2023 is like a totally different wrestler than Jason Lee 2022 and, and before. I think he's, you know, obviously, obviously, I think he's still incredibly super talented. But this was kind of a, a zoom in on like, oh, I bet this match a year ago looks way different because this was kind of these two guys slugging it out. And I don't think this match would have looked like that in November of 22. Oh, not whatsoever. And especially November 2022, Yuki Yoshioka, Dreamgate champion. Like, that, that, this would have been, like, a five-minute match, and it, Jason would have had, like, a maximum driver near fall, and that would have done it. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. 
until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club Slab Pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you, you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying oh, hey look at some random cards or whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off again that's arena club.com slash vow net arena club.com slash vow net for 10 percent off your first purchase on arena club and we thank them for sponsoring the voices of wrestling podcast network what's going on guys this is rich from the flagship podcast here on the voice of wrestling podcast Network. If I could have a moment of your time, I'd like to tell you about one of our sponsors, Eufy Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock is a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell, all three-in-one, offering you triple security. So you can have everything in one device rather than installing many pieces on your front door. But it's not just for security. The Eufy Video Lock is also for convenience. No more concerns about losing keys, and you can assign passwords to your family members and see them coming back home via the integrated cameras. Some other great features we love about the Eufy Video Lock is it is easy to install and set up with just a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. Keyless entry, no more fumbling for keys when your hands are full. You never have to worry about kids losing keys or passing among renters. You also have 0.3 second, 0.3 second fingerprint recognition and one second unlocking again 0.3 seconds it's going to recognize your fingerprints and in one second it's going to unlock and with the ai self-learning chip embedded the more you use it the more accurate it will be also no battery anxiety you have a rechargeable battery in there that could last around four months and you will get a low battery notification before it runs out. Uh, passcode unlocking a remote control with a 2K clear sight. See who's at your door and control from anywhere through 
the Eufy app. With enhanced night vision, you can have optimized view even in the evening. You can also secure your package delivery by view and two-way audio. And then best of all, no monthly fee. A bunch of other brands out there are going to charge you a monthly fee. You have your recordings locally and you never have to pay for storage. Customer service, Eufy's got you handled as well. They are on standby for you 24-7 so you can enjoy a worry-free experience with an 18-month warranty all backed by their professional customer service team. Contact them anytime by telephone, email, or live chat. Personally, as a homeowner, I love my Eufy video lock. I have the ability to see what's going on when I'm not home, when packages have has arrived, and, and really the thing I love the most about it, the ease of being able to lock and unlock my doors without having to fumble with my keys, reach in my pocket, or wait, no, crap, they're in my backpack, all that sort of stuff. All this is happening while my dogs are barking at me. You know what? Not anymore with the Eufy video lock. I touch it. 0.3 second fingerprint recognition. One second. Door is unlocked. Much, much easier. So if you want to jump on board with Eufy Video Lock, search Eufy Video Lock. That is E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Again, that's Eufy Video Lock, E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Yeah, no, very, very enjoyable stuff here. Again, you know, one of these things, you know, nine minute match, you put this on American TV. I think people eat it up and uh, very fun stuff here. A match where American TV would probably be going, gosh, what is that Jackie Funky Kamei guy? Like what? Like he really went for it there. Uh, he went up against June Skywalker, lost in 1033 to a Boston Crab case. I went notebook on this. I, I adored this. It, it had a lot of jackie funky kame firing up belt spots and really to me at least a a highlight of both of their strengths and the way that i really do feel like shun skywalker's sneaky best chemistry is with big match jack i have a ton of thoughts on both of these guys you want to start with shun do you want to start with jackie let's talk about big match jack uh this was really his big performance over this stretch yeah he he has had a very, very good 2023 as I, you know, start to compile a list of SFM 50 guys, the 50 best wrestlers in the world. And I start doing match of the year stuff. And I start just, you know, trying to trying to remember all the things that I've consumed this year. I am continuously reminded that not only did Jackie Funky Kame have a number of extremely high level matches just this past month, the eight man at Cork and Hall with D courage. You know, you think about the things he did, uh, on, on house shows this year, the Ray Day Parejas match with he and Jason versus Kakuta and Yoshioka. There was just a lot of high-level Kame stuff that we've seen. And I think, you know, possibly the biggest winner of these, these YouTube digests have been over the last two years. It's been Jackie Funky Kame because we see like, oh, every show he's on, this guy is so good. I, for a very long time, including two weeks ago, have always compared him uh, to Genki Horiguchi. I think he's the beating heart of this promotion. He's the guy that keeps the drum going, keeps the machine going. He's driving the truck forward. Whatever cliche you want to use, Kamei is just unapologetically and authentically Dragon Gate. And then I watched this match, which I was at three and three quarters on. No no knock whatsoever for going notebook on it uh, from you. And it's like, no disrespect to Genki, who I love. Everybody knows that. This guy is like a, a combination of Susumi Okoska and Rey Mysterio Jr. Because I think it's funny you say that about Shun having his best chemistry with Kamei. 
the thing that's going to be so telling about Kamei is that 10 years from now, 15 years from now, he's going to have that Susumu, Ray, Brian Danielson effect where we're going to look at the roster and we're going to go, oh, what's this person's best match? And there's a 99% chance it's going to involve Jackie Funky Kamei. Like, we're four years into his career, and this guy is so clearly one of the best at worst 25 wrestlers on earth, and he doesn't get the praise he deserves from the pundits that matter, and it's a damn shame, but oh my god, was he good in this match. And it's so interesting hearing you say that, because back in 2020, we kind of picked sides on the the, the two rookies, and Kamei and SBK, and it was something where you saw a very clear path forward with SB Kento that's now never going to happen. Ugh. Or for it to happen, th- it, it's going to take some time. It He's not going to be the youngest ever Dreamgate winner or Grand Slam winner. Like we were <laughs> no, no, we'll, he is not. No, no, we can fairly <laughs> state that. And, uh, he, might be, he might be the youngest G-Rex champion of all time. <laughs> oh, what a, what a prestigious honor. I, I, I mean... Uh, DTU Alto Impacto champion. Yeah, you know? Does Riot Lucha have any titles? Yeah, they're they're huge fans of him in the office. Maybe Kento becomes the youngest Riot Lucha champion. Right, but it, it was something oh, where go go ahead. I fucking we were talking about Kento before we started recording, and it just yeah. bummed me out so much. But we had Kamei where he was small. He was kind of scrawly. He was nicknamed Turtle Coon basically for the first years of his career because his name meant turtle. And he adapted it. And instead of blossoming immediately, like Kento Kabune did, where Kento Kabune, by the end of 2020, the world felt like it was in the palm of his hands. And it was just, when does he want to grasp the stars, essentially? Well, Kame was slow and steady. And you have now, four years in, someone who has understudied under who I would think would be the best the best educators possible case for him to become this glue guy, this uh, big match, Jack, the, the everyone's best match. When you have someone who for 18 months was teaming with Kinky Horiguchi, who still teams with KZ to this day. And for this kind of facet of the dragon system, and especially in the looking forward to the next quarter century of it, we need to like be prepare ourselves to, for like, the reality that 10 years from now, we're probably going to be talking about what kid is going to be his understudy. And that is something that is like, so like crystal clear to me, what his future is in this like really beautiful kind of way that this promotion is kind of generated for him that he didn't get the, uh, the dragon mask that Daya did where he became the heir to the air. He kind of had to scrawl and pick uh, and just claw and get this role for himself. And it's really kind of fun to see. It's very funny you say that because I was also going to reference he and, and SB Kento and just, you know, how they came into the promotion together. And I, I, I think your greatest win as an analyst is earmarking Kamei from the jump. I mean, I, you, you had him. And I, I, I say that sincerely. Like I, I thought he was, yeah, I thought he was good. I didn't think he'd ever be this, you know, I, this is, this is maybe your biggest win as an analyst is just understanding who Kamei could be. And it got me thinking as we're four years into his career, he is without a doubt, 
I think anybody that watches the promotion on a regular basis, somebody listening to us now, uh, somebody that watches the YouTube uploads, you know, watches, I would say more than just the Cork and Hall show, or especially more than just the big five shows. They understand that Kamei matters to the day-to-day fabric of this promotion. But I started thinking about him after this Shun match, and with the year that he's had where, you know, we'll we'll get to Shun's year in a second because I want to talk about that, but, you know, you have Shun and Kakuta and Yoshioka, and I think in-ring those have been the three best guys this year. And then I, I would have Kamei, given, you know, the injuries to, to Diamante and the fact that Dragon Daya hasn't had the best year of his career and, you know, Strong Machine J is not quite there yet. Shimizu has been very good, but I don't, you know, I don't know if Kamei or Shimizu has had the better year. The point is that he continues to thrive, and we continue to say, like, oh, Kamei's the best big match wrestler. Oh, Monte's best chemistry is with Kamei. Oh, Shun's best chemistry is with Kamei. I now have to wonder if Dragon Gate is actually severely underutilizing him. And if you go and look through his career, and it's perfect because we're coming up on the four-year anniversary of his debut next month. We're a month away from it. In his career, he has had 11 title matches, and I, I'll go through them real quick. He's only had two Brave Gate matches. Mike, do you know what his two Brave Gate matches are? Oh, they're both against SB Kento first in Kobe uh, Sumbo Hall uh, 2021 in yep. October, and then they ran it back in Corkin that November. Yep. Yeah. It's that, that thing about that. His only two Brave Gate matches are the uh, mind numbing, mind numbingly great, I should say, SB Kento Brave Gate matches. You look at the Twin Gate matches. He's only had three Twin Gate matches in his career. The first of which was when he won the belts versus Shun and Diamante with Jason Lee last year at Kobe World. Their first defense, they lose the belts to Daya and Kakuta. And then this year, he was involved in that three-way at Dangerous Gate, which I didn't land the way I think anybody wanted it to. So two Brave Gate matches, three Twin Gate matches, didn't successfully defend the Twin Gate belts when he won them. And then he's had six Triangle Gate matches, including a run this year where I don't believe he had a successful defense. So he's had a number of those shots. But, you know, Mike, off the top of your head, because I can't think of any, can you think of like the Jackie Funky Kame Triangle Gate match? There really isn't it. <laughs> yeah, there, I, yeah. Look, I, I've got a notebook on a few. Like, there's one from February of this year that was great, but it's not like it's not the Twin Gate match uh, at World last year, and it's not the Brave Gate matches. He's we're we don't think of him as this historically great Triangle Gate wrestler in the way that we might think of Doi in that way. It's eleven title matches in four years. Last year in King of Gate, he wasn't in King of Gate 2020. Wasn't in King of Gate 2021. Last year in King of Gate. He beats Yosuke Santa Maria in the first round, loses to Shuji Kondo in the second round. This year in King of Gate, loses to Yuki Oshioka in the first round. And I'm not saying they should have done something different because, you know, that paved the way for the story they told with Shimizu, and it paved the way for Yoshioka versus Minora and Gifu on that aforementioned Konamami Chikawa homecoming show, which that whole show it just makes me warm and fuzzy. I just, I loved everything about that. But we have this guy who is maybe not your best wrestler on the roster, but is a tier one guy. I mean, I think he's in the conversation with Shun and Kakuta and whoever else you want to put in there. He's oh, a guy. Oh, if we do, ahead. if we had a like draft with like two or three other big dragon system people, he's not getting out of the second round. 
No, that, yeah, anybody that would would disagree with that, I, I think their finger is just so off the pulse there. So at worst, you're talking about a second-tier wrestler, a guy who is very clearly over, and a guy who just, he just matters in the context of this promotion. And I feel like they're doing themselves a disservice because you and I, if, you know, somebody came to us and said like, hey, I want to start watching Drangy, who should I watch? Again, you and I would say Kamei, but it's not like we have all of these high-profile matches we can point to. I'm like, well, you know, there was a show in Okinawa that I would really recommend you take a look at. Like, let me show you this match from this hotel conference center. They're doing <laughs> themselves such a disservice to not have Kamei in the Brave Gate mix, to not have him really mattering in a King of Gate. Like, you would have to think King of Gate 2024, Kamei should go on a run. I'm not saying he should win. I'm not saying he should be Dreamgate champion but he should go on a run. I mean, this is a guy who I think they're, they're almost getting away with murder. Cause it's like, he's so good that everybody forgets. He really hasn't ever been a champion. Like he's, you know, he was a, a one-time twin gate champion, lost the belts first defense. I think he's a two-time triangle gate champion. None of those reigns are really memorable. He's just so good. He keeps this promotion going, but he's not a champion. Like he's not a top guy. He's not presented as anything other than like beating hard of the promotion. Jackie funky Kamei. And I'm starting to think it's a mistake. I actually think they get more out of this guy just because he's so damn talented. Yeah. yeah, And it's something where I think a little bit of it is age and size that hurts him almost because he is someone on a short roster, one of the shortest guys on the roster. And that is a sticking point. And should that be a sticking point for at least the Brave Gate division? No. But I think with where how they are running with this current Brave Gate division at this point, there has to be a logical endpoint soon where I will talk about the Ishin and Hyo uh, a match that's coming up at Corkin uh, in a little bit. But at this point, I don't necessarily see that as like the usual baby face heel, uh, a heel turns face immediately gets the belt there. I kind of see that the endpoint needs to be Ishin versus JFK at Final Gate. It's interesting you bring up the size because that's not something I ever think about with him anymore. Like, if they if they booked Kamei and Yoshioka, I guess, I mean, they did with Shun. It's like, I don't think Kamei looks illegitimate getting offense in on Shun. And I don't think Shun looks weak for taking offense against Kamei. And I'm not sure I would have said that in 2021. I think they would have had to work the match in a specific way. But Kamei is kind of, he's kind of earned that credence. Like, he's, he's able to work through his size, use it to his advantage, and now you have an entire generation of guys younger than him. You know, if this was a promotion where they don't churn out youth ever, like the dojo is just collecting cobwebs, I could buy like, oh, well, you know, he's only four years in, you know, think about like all the time he has left. But four years in in Dragon Gate means something different. Ryo Tanaka and Ryo Fuda, wherever he is, and, and you know, Tien, all these guys are going to come through and they're now competing for the spot that Kamei has. Kamei should be elevated and stay a step ahead of them. If you think about the guys throughout history, removing your obvious Dreamgate champions, you know, take Shima out of the conversation, take Yamato out of the conversation, but think about like a Genki or a Susumu or an Eita. If you want to use his starting point as 2010, 
think about where they were at four years into their career. You know, Genki was El Numero Uno finalist, and Susumu was, you know, starting to become in the mix for the UDG title. Think about Eita from 2010 to 2014. Like, by 2014, he's in the semi-main event of World as a Twin Gate champion, but I feel like T-Hawk and Eita were taken more seriously than any one team that Kamei's ever done, and I think that's probably a mistake. Yeah, and it, it it's something where I wonder when we like look at where Kamei is at year four, the fact that he was after the class of 2016, where the class of 2016 are now inheriting that kind of role the uh, at the front of the cards, kind of in a way. Not that they're blocking, it's just that it's so recent kind of happening that it kind of, I said kind of five times that sentence, but it's it's restrictive you know it's something where maybe just like trying to go ebbs and flows getting people ready for this generation shift that's happened it's just waiting like okay six months a year from now maybe but i at that point you're looking at someone who's now five years in his career at that kame is greatly hurt by those around him because he's not not a raywa guy you know he's not class of 2016 and he's not menorah He's not like die like it feels like Daya and Kamei are of two totally different generations, even though they debuted only a year apart. But then you look at who's come after, and it's like, okay, well, Kamei and Kakuta, I mean, they were briefly a tag team, and that was cool when they first debuted, but Kamei's, for lack of a better term, his soulmate, it was SB Kento. And I think maybe if Kento had stuck around, and I started thinking earlier today, you know, he's almost been gone from Japan for 18 months. Like the last time he wrestled in Dragon Gate was July of 2022, which is just nuts to think about. But perhaps had Kento stayed, got his head on right, not been such a dumbass, it would have really helped elevate Kamei because they could have fought their way up the card. Brave Gate, Twin Gate, maybe a Dream Gate, you know, maybe a super undersized Dream Gate program at some point. I'm not saying that would have come this year. I just think now Kamei's, you know, he's sort of a no man's land. You know, Kabune's gone. Kakuta is so big that it aided him in his main event run. And he also, just by way of hurting his shoulder, had this sort of built in story there. Sora Fujikawa, his classmate, gone. La Estrella. Where the fuck is La Estrella, Mike? I can't find him with a search party. And then he certainly doesn't belong to the class of 2021 and beyond. Kamei, it's it's so weird. Like, he is so it's authentically. Like yeah, exactly. Like, he's so authentically drangy, but he also, he's a man. Uh, on his own island because he doesn't have peers in the same way that Ben does with Shun and Hyo and Yoshioka and, and that Eita had even with T-Hawk and Maria to some degree and, and that Yamato had with Tozawa and Shingo and Hulk and KZ. Like, Kamei is this historical oddity almost. The wild thing is Kamei's, like, big contemporary at this point would be Daya Menorah, really. And doesn't like like I said, like I don't think of him like that. No, no. You know, I don't I don't think of Kamei as having any sort of generational uh a rivalry with Menorah or or Daya. Like, and it's you know, it's not the new kids. It's just mm-hmm. it's very odd. Again, I, I almost wonder now, because you brought that up, like if they should be leaning in to to Ishin, because Ishin has the the upper hand. Ishin debuted after Kamei, but he won a Brave Gate title sooner. I you know. That feels like a story that writes itself. 
yeah, I mean, it, it, and it's something where with Kamei also, I wonder with like trying to push it that they don't want to remind people of the thing they had with SPK because the promos that SPK and the way that they framed it really tied him to him. Like, like I remember like the aspect of the promo saying like, remember back in the dojo, I was always on the top bunk and that's how it's always going to be. Yeah. Like that, that is something that will, oh, at least for Kamei were and Kabune, when that happened, it kind of just stitched them to each other in the way that, I mean, if we really want to go, uh, it just pull out and just look at it from like a wide thing. It's not dissimilar to BB Hulk where BB Hulk has been for lack of better words, a drift for five years because Shingo left. And imagine if Shingo would have left after their hair match. Like if their right. hair match was loser leaves town, 2011 would have been like, Oh, what, like what's Hulk going to do now? And it's a credit to Kamei that we haven't really had that conversation because he is just able to bounce from one thing to another, and he's always able to succeed while doing it. Whereas even like Hulk at his peak, I don't know if he would have been able to do that if Shingo left for New Japan and again, you know, 2010, 2011 instead of 2018. But yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe it's just forces beyond his control that have unfortunately impacted what has been a successful career. But I, I really started thinking about it of just like, there's actually there's more they can do with him. There's more to go. And I, I don't know if they're hesitant to, I don't, I don't know if they're just content with the work that he's doing, but it feels like we're at a point now where Kamei should, he should be always in the twin gate mix. He should be always in the brave gate mix. He should, he should, you know, if he's not winning the triangle gate belts, he's wrestling for them on the next pay-per-view. He should be on that level now. And instead, you know, when he's in a title scene, it's like, oh, look at, oh, they're trying something with Kamei. And I, I feel like he's graduated beyond that now. Well, I guess the the big question then is, is it ready for the heel turn? Is that going to be the thing that pushes him into not being like the secondary person? Like, even in the tag team with him and Jason, I felt like Jason was the primary focus there, even though it was Kung Fu Masters, at least as a worker. Is it time for the heel turn? When, especially after we've talked about how much of a strong babyface Kamei has been and how he's he's tutored under the greatest babyface as possible to inherit such a role. Like, are we at a point right now where he's four years in, he's been four years as a babyface. It's always been a big deal made that no member of Natural Vibes has turned on the group. Is it time for all caps Kamei, I guess? I... I don't believe we're in the peak of Kamei's career, but I also think it would be horribly misguided to leave this era of what he's doing before you have to. And it to me, and maybe this is where you disagree, the character doesn't feel stale. It feels like there's more he could do. And I, if I had the pencil, I would be in no rush to break up or alter natural vibes. So, no, I, I don't want that to be the thing that elevates him. I think he's doing the work now that warrants an elevation. A heel turn is now like another thing. You just, you got to move parts around. You got to figure it out. He's got to nail the character. He has a fully fleshed out thing right now. I would rather reward that thing than change it up and see if he, he can succeed again at a new thing. But then you would have the face turn. That's the thing. 
you yeah, did the heel now, turn. But now you you're, now you're turn. talking about years off. You know, now now you're talking about okay, let's plot out a heel turn so he can turn face again. And I I just that that feels like okay, now we're now we're in the weeds even more. Now we're waiting on something that that could be here right now. And I'm I'm all for patience. I preached it with like M3K for instance for the last eighteen months. This feels like a thing where we can just we can get to it. We can get to the fucking for lack of a better term. <laughs> Fair, fair enough. Uh, I, I know we have Shun Skywalker on our run sheet here. Do you want to talk, talk about Shun here? Yeah, I'll, I'll just do it real quick, which is just watching this Kamei match. You know, Shun's had such an odd second half of the year because he, he has the cage match and everything, I think, up through that made sense. And then he gets bounced in King of Gate. Luis Monte's not there. He has that weird second trip to America that didn't make a ton of impact. And so I think, you know, we all have such short short memories now with the way we consume things. It's easy to forget, like, Shroom Skywalker, top 10 wrestler in the world this year. It just feels like it's worth noting, like, hey, this guy has actually been phenomenal in 2023. And he cooled off, I think, due to scheduling more than anything. But you watch the Kamei match. You watch the Ryoya Tanaka match, which I would highly, highly recommend on YouTube. It's like, oh, no, this guy is uh, this guy is still locked in and the best wrestler in all of Dragon Gate. Yeah, he was thriving in that Tanaka match. That was just nasty. <laughs> that, that, that was just, at a certain point, he him just deciding to be mean and powerbombing that kid. Yeah, that was on... The Fukuoka most recent the- upload, yeah. So that was November 26th on YouTube. It's the opening match there. It's five minutes. It is it, it is worth going out of your way to see. I I, I think, and we'll talk about Tanaka here in just a second, a second, but what a huge week for Tanaka. This Shun match, uh, I thought, was the highlight of it. Yeah, no, it was the most fun thing, at least for him, on that week. Uh, continuing down the uh, Ginky Horiguchi 20th anniversary exciting battle case, we had... D Courage versus Gold Class, Madoka Kakuda and Dragon Diet defeat Kota Minora and Benkei with a hip attack added uh, double cork in 10 minutes, 34 seconds. Dragon Diet just penned Benkei case. Do we think Benkei is out of the final gate picture? Well, I'll answer your question with a question. How about that? Fair enough. Shoot. Are we concerned that as of the date we're recording, it's November 28th? And there was no clear direction whatsoever for Madoka Kakuta's final gate opponent. Yeah, no, we we have much more of direction on D Courage's Twin Gates opponents, which they have requested it to be outsiders. So we have that, but we have more direction there. Uh, it, it's something where, at least with uh, Kakuta, I just uh, it it is something like after the story cementing the. Uh, uh, with Shimizu after the six months there, I I'm okay with how the scheduling was. If if come Tuesday we don't have a direction as Corkin is on Tuesday after the Sapporo triple shot, that is when I am lighting up the flare gun. Yeah, let me let me look at this Corkin card real quick because I don't remember what he's booked to do. So on Corkin on the fifth next Tuesday, so a week from today. Do they they don't have a full card for that, do they? Nope. I think we're not getting one until um Sunday, to be honest. Okay, so in Hokkaido, it's D Courage versus Vibes, KZ Shimizu, UT Kame. It is 
D Courage versus Zebrats on night two, Skywalker, Kai, Isha, and Kato. So f- two different four on four D Courage matches. And then night three is he's in the opener. It's Kakuta Yoshioka and Daya versus Fuji, Susumu, and Kanda. Well, that tells us nothing. No, no, that tells me that they're doing the D Courage eight man tags now and that uh they they have Benkei versus Roya Tanaka because Tanaka's gonna get the crap beat out of. God, what are they gonna this is like again, Kakuta's a guy who just should he he should have had a better run. I you know, he was dealt a very poor hand, but he also he didn't really rise to the occasion the way I would want a world champion to, but you just have this great Shimizu match, which is aided because you had six months of story there. And there's no there's no follow-up. And you look at what he did. It's like, okay, so Korokin, he was in the eight-man. That was about Ryo Tanaka. I get it. That should have been the focus there. But now you have a string of like 12 house shows where, you know, he's in good matches. Like, I like what he's doing, but it's not beneficial to filling a, a cold-ass building in Fukuoka in a month. I, I don't... I don't understand what they they've done with him. This whole reign has just been booked so strange. And I think it's a, it's a disservice to him. I mean, look, if they do him versus Ben, like, all right, I'm into it. Uh, But I I don't, uh, as of November 28th, like I'm not excited about that match. I couldn't possibly be. And on the other side of it, there's not really, it's not like someone is, uh, is off stage ready to like rush in. It does not feel like that when Kai comes back, it's going to be about Kai. Like it's not like that. It feels like that we're holding out for an injury time to be taken care of. Right. Like, no, because my thought was just because he lost the belts, uh, the the belt and just the year he's had. And it it would kind of go against the story they told in 2022. But I also, I think people would look past it. You know, I think Kakuta versus Susumu could be a final game match, but also, also why, you know, you know, we just, we have, they, they should have, been building to something and maybe it is Ben and maybe Daya just pins Ben and they reference that on a promo and we go on. But I just, I don't, I don't get it. It feels like time wasted with him. And I understand you want to do things with Tanaka and I get it. And I support that, but you can also, it's Dragon Gate. There's a lot of you. The audience can handle a lot of things. You can do two birds with one stone here, build up Tanaka and give Kakuta something to latch onto. Yeah. It's, it's something where I I'm just really wondering what uh, when we get to final gate, I really after we get past the case, I, I want us to sit down and book back how they got to final gate, because at this point, I am completely uh, shrug emoji like, like that, that. That's the weird thing. Like we're entering the final month of the year and my overall opinion of Madoka Kakuda at this point is basically a shrug. It's It's odd. I mean, he has. He'll probably end up with 25 four plus star matches for me this year, which is, you know, it'll be as many as Osprey has. You know, again, he'll be, you know, to me, like a top five wrestler in the world this year, but he's had two big clunkers with the most eyeballs on him. And I don't, I don't know how to evaluate that. He's just had such an odd, an odd year. And the Yoshioka stuff, like a world, you know, I thought that build sucked. I didn't think they did either of those guys any favors. But it's just the whole thing is weird. I, I I can't articulate it the way I want to. The whole thing is just very weird. Yeah, no, I, and, and that's kind of 
where I kind of come down to it is, is just like I until something is better offered or some direction is I just don't know how I'm supposed to react to it. You know? Uh, yeah, very much so. The semi-main event of this Kunamoto, I'm not going to read Genki Horiguchi's homecoming show uh, title once more, but it was Big Hug. Uh, Luis Monte and Hio teaming up against Ishin and Yoshiki Kato of Zebrats. Zebrats during this loop down to three with Kai being pulled on it. It was the Samson driver on Ishin, further building up the upcoming Brave Gate match at Cork and Hall. Uh, what are your thoughts of Big Hug after? I, I mean, we we left basically the program with them forming uh, two weeks in, kind of like their first real loop down. Uh, how how are you feeling now about about Luis Monte and Hio now really as a face group? I gotta say, you know, one of my big things when it came to wanting for Hyo to turn face over the last, you know, arguably a year at the very least six months was, you know, I, I would say you got to turn him face just so you can turn him heel again. And I think that's true, but I am enjoying the early stages of this Hyo face turn way more than I thought I would. I mean, this has just been, it, it's been a delight. This team is over. I think they did their best work here. You know, they made a lot of the YouTube uploads against natural vibes. I didn't love any of the vibes matches. I thought this was really, really good though. Cause there was built in heat there. The match just made a little bit more sense, but I, I really, I like what these guys are doing. I am into this team. I hope they, I hope they have a huge match, a, a tag match at the second cork in December. I hope they have a huge match together at final gate, you know, which is what, what a joy this has become. I think for Hio, especially now as a babyface, I was really kind of impressed. He's with, he's electric in it, a way that like you and I used hey, to get shit for how much you like. We were like the only Hyo fans on the planet. This was five, I was six the years biggest ago. One. I was no, oh no, you absolutely were. Yeah, you, yeah. you absolutely were. <laughs> Unintentionally, this is the Mike Spears uh, short king uh, victory lap show. Like Kame, yeah, it's like like Shima sees like a like a. Um, uh, a wrestler of color with abs and it's like well i'm gonna book that guy to be world champion and mike is like oh this five four kind of pudgy wrestler that's my guy that's, and it works you, out you, you did it with kame you did it with yo well, well it started with tozawa you that's know right. like that's right so i mean it, it's just following in that heritage it, it, it's something where when you looked at where Hio was in mochizuki dojo especially in that second rookie phase it, he was not a very flashy wrestler other than he has very good handsprings. Like yes. that was always the thing was the handsprings and stunners. My big takeaway from the, this last few weeks are the young guys are now obsessed with doing stunners out of nowhere. Like that, <laughs> it, like, like to a, an amount where I'm like, guys, you do know that you're coming off the top rope right on your tailbone to do that cutter. Hio. like is that is that something really what we're going to do but now they're obsessed with randy orton who knows but it, it, it it's something where he is he was so fucking over case yeah and and that was always the thing about him in 2018 2019 was out of the class of 2016 guys and about the mochizuki dojo guys he was the one getting the crowd calls he was the one that already attached us and i think with his limitations and with this he is kind of getting the best version of himself right here at least as a babyface wrestler and with the chemistry that he has with monte and more less in this match against ishan and kato but more so on the loop and trying to pull up the exact one where this 
happened. Okay, this was from the Okinawa show, uh, them versus Strong Machine J and Jason Lee. This was a part, oh no, I'm sorry, Nagasaki on the 21st. Nagasaki show. Uh, they do this, the, the finish is basically Hyo does his stunner and that slings someone into into Monte doing a Hurricane Rana hold. And it flows, it works, and it, it is something where you know what I'm most excited about for Hio, I'm hoping, for on this Corkin show? What's that? What is babyface Hio going to look like? Because he's still having to wear all the Z-Brats gear. Yeah. Like, is he going... I, I kind of hope he does the full uh, shorts with uh, the suspenders. I think he's going to finally have to show off the legs, for one. I, I'm I'm all for that. You know, to, to your point about him being so over, it's like, you know, you got to remember, this guy turned heel in 2019 he was a heel pre-pandemic and then all through that era and so you know if you're if you're a yo guy yo girl you know you've waited a long time for this opportunity you've waited and waited and waited and i don't think they could have executed it any better than what they're doing now so it, it is it is a great sort of long-term patience that that paid off in all the right ways here. I love this first, first act of his babyface run. And I think as it goes on, you know, they'll get into a unit. I think he'll he'll slip down the pecking order a little bit. He'll eventually turn heel. And I and I think this will be his career is he is a guy that no matter if he's turning face or if he's turning heel, the the afterglow of his turns, I think, are gonna be really, really special. You know, you look at somebody like Ishan. He turned heel and it was like, all right, like it, it it's going to take him a second to figure out what he wants to be. And part of that is just age and experience. But I also just I think that's who he is. And I think he a guy who when he gets that fresh coat of paint, you always go, oh, man, this is this is something special. It was that way when he turned heel and it was that way you know, this time around when he turned face. And the next time he turns heel, I think it'll be the same story. Every time he does a little change, and just a little fun change. It's, yeah. it's always it's always enjoyable. Mr. Brain. Everything was a blast. He was oh. just that. That was like the most fun thing. Uh, when he decided to be the architect of the destruction of the Torimon generation, tremendous, uh, As outstanding. One of my favorite things from Hio during the YouTube uploads, I forget which one. And if you're someone who just tries to steamroll, try to watch all the wrestling stuff, you're probably fast forwarding through the interviews and the promos and uh, GM Rio Saito's address at the end of every single one because most of the times Rio Saito is finding a wrestler and going like, oh, we saw uh, we just finished up the show here. Uh, on one of the ones, we got to see one of those unique, uh, just facets of Dragon System kind of lore in a way, and not lore in the way that lore is overused. Uh, Case, what is tradition for Dragon Gate touring in the heel units? They don't sign autographs. And they don't set up the ring. Yeah. They don't set up or break down the ring. So... During one of these, and I think this was uh, Kaito Nagano's homecoming and Fukuoka that this happened to, uh, he's going around talking to like Benke, and then he stops by and he sees Hio breaking down the ring, and Hio is like laughing about this, and it's very clear that it's like, oh yeah, no, I haven't done this in a long time. And uh, GM Rio Saito sees that he's wearing his Zebras tracksuit, and he's like, I don't like that. You need to get yourself a Dragon Gate uh, tracksuit right now. It's like, yeah, now, haha, I know. And it was just one of those things that like when that jogged me, I was like, oh yeah. He hasn't done that for four years. Yeah, that's that's a good point. So it was just one of those like fun things that if you're someone who just fast forwards through the YouTube uploads, you probably do not notice that. But that was our uh, kind of breakdown of the Akunamoto show from November 23rd. Uh, this was, again, the uh, 
Ginky Horiguchi 25th anniversary exciting battle. But that was not all that was happening. We kind of avoided talking about this young man up to this point, but one of the big stars I feel like over the last two weeks has been Ryo Tanaka making this big step after a gate of destiny, becoming the fourth member of D Courage. Uh, we got to see on Cork and on the ninth, kind of the first time of this four man group. And really this is now two weeks later. Now we've, we've had more loops. We've had a lot more performances and we've had a lot of Tanaka singles matches case. And I have to say, Ryoya Tanaka, I love what they're doing with him. Like he has really taken that 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 brass ring and that next step, getting kind of get, getting the right way. Like if you are a Dragon Gate wrestler, a young wrestler, and you're looking at the unit landscape, you want to get into D Courage. You want to get into that group. It's like the most advantageous one, really, at this point. But Ryoya Tanaka, I feel like he's just taken the bull by the horns and is really. It has been really fun in this role so far. It's so strange that he wasn't on Genki's homecoming show because on all the YouTube uploads, he felt like the main character. You know, have the, you have the Okinawa match, the eight man that was vibes versus D courage, essentially a rematch of what they did in Corkin. thought it was thought it was very, very good Went three and three quarters on that. You have him in a singles match versus Yamato. That was on uh, Yamaguchi on the 24th yes you have you have uh him versus Kato on the 22nd you have him versus Yamato on the 24th and then you have him versus Shun on the 26th you have these highlighted Tanaka matches and I kind of thought he looked awesome in every single one of them like I am so into Tanaka right now he is just a white bread baby face yeah and it is so fun to see it's simplistic you know you know exactly what he is as soon as the bell rings and he's really kind of added to his uh, arsenal, his his proclivity to just do stunners is wild. And I, I, I've really become impressed with the way that, especially in the eight man in, in Okinawa, it, I, I feel like he's becoming more and more a part of this unit. And they aren't like immediately showing that he gels immediately and that that's been a lot of fun. But the person I've really enjoyed against him was Strong Machine J. Strong Machine J and that uh, Okinawa eight man. I was three and a quarter or three and a half on that one. I love the uh, the eleven twenty two match him versus Kato. Uh, have not really talked about Yoshiki Kato yet. Case man, this is a man who was made to be a bad guy. Yep, yeah, very yep. Uh, immediately. To, to, to keep it short, I'm just very into what Kato is doing as well. Yeah, it was very clear that he was going to be an amazing heel. He has been an absolute blast. Well, which one was your favorite Tanaka performance over the last week? I actually, I liked the Shun match the most, just because I liked the dynamics there. I like that they brawled all around the uh, the little room they were in. I like when they do that with the handheld cameras on the house shows. And then I thought the the finish with Shun really just kind of getting sick of the guy and, you know, not, not hitting him with an SSW, not hitting him with a blaster, but just sort of planting him into the mat and pinning him. I thought that was super entertaining. Yeah. It it, it was something where you got to see a little bit of a different side of Tanaka throughout these three matches. Uh, just touching on the Yamato one. Uh, that one was a lot more uh, Yamato turning cranky, getting mouth blood and just destroying him with a Galleria at the end of it. Like that was one of the more brutal Galleria's I've seen in a long time. Like, it was nasty. That was nasty. That was rough. And the other big occurrence during this loop is the return of one 
Kaito Nagano at his homecoming show in Fukuoka. He teams with Dragon Kid and Yamato versus Zebrat, Shun, Ishin, and Kato. He remains on the loop the next day. Uh, they remain in Fukuoka, but outside of his hometown. That time, he's teaming with Dragon Kid versus Ginky and Kagatora. Uh, interesting to see him back. Uh, his shoulder is still heavily taped up. Uh, what were your thoughts on him, his return from the DL? I thought he looked awesome in his comeback match. It was kind of one of those deals where, you know, you, you never know, especially with a wrestler like that, you know, weird injury, small guy, small frame. You never really know what you're going to get with that initial return. And I, I think with him, and this is, you know, purely me editorializing and reading into things, but if I were Nagano, I'd kind of be scared shitless because, okay, Kato took a leap and then Tanaka took, you know, a huge leap. All of a sudden, you know, a guy like Nagano who was leading the pack of rookies for a while, he's fallen behind. And if I were him, I'd be upping my game. And that's exactly what he did there. And it's something where he's upping his game and in a way where he's not necessarily flashy. He's, I, as someone who kind of w- was let down a little bit by Nagano after his really hot end of 2022 and rookie tag in early 2023, it just was he was smooth. He was crisp, and it was really what I kind of wanted to see out of him. And he got a big kick out in his return match, and the finish was a Bible uh, on 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 Ishan, I believe, on that. But it was something where he got a kick out of the Kamada chokeslam, and that, that felt like something for him, especially in the front of his hometown. Does he end up with Monte and Hio, you think? I feel like the... Yeah, he does make sense there because I feel like D Courage was the place, but now it's very clearly, yeah, no, Tanaka is the guy. He's the dude there. I'd love to know if it was supposed to be Nagano instead of Tanaka. I mean, Tanaka is such a, like, you see it and you go, oh, that makes sense. I would just love to know if it was originally supposed to be Nagano. Right, yeah, that that's kind of where I'm coming down to with that. Uh, when I look at, like, those three, I kind of want a vet presence. You really kind of want to have, like, it, it, you can't really pull Yamato over there, and Dragon Kid kind of could fit with that bill, but it's that that threesome there still feels like it is a little lacking in a way for a unit at least. Yeah, I think that's. I mean, you know, the problem is like, okay, so what do you do when you throw Kagatora in there too? You know, that doesn't really excite anybody. Um, I do want to see Monte. Nagano double team moves. So I'm going to support that cause just because I like the idea of that. Yeah, because the big space world gift was on Monte, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. So, boy, I mean, just imagine what he can do as a teammate, let alone his opponent. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm stoked Nagano's back. I, I don't believe he's not on the Hikaido shows, is he? Uh, let me pull that up there. It I don't think a, he normally makes that trip anyways. It, it's a peculiar kind of Hokkaido lineup, I feel like. It is not. Yeah, like he's the, he's not on these shows, but Tanaka is and Kato is. So, you know, hopefully Nagano's back on Cork and then he crushes it there because it was nice to have him back. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, any other big YouTube notes you wanted to touch on? I feel like we touched on nearly all of the big stuff. There was a... A lo- the punch Tomonaga quotient was a little bit less than I expected, honestly. Yeah, when this comes out, I'll throw in the Open the Voice Gate channel on the Discord. I will throw out um, a uh, list of written YouTube recommendations from this 
past uh, past week because there were just so many shows. I'll write them down. But no, it was all in all super enjoyable. Absolutely. And that's not the only stuff that is happening in the greater dragon system this week as it kind of snuck up on us, Case. But this Saturday in the veritable hotbed of wrestling of Clive, Iowa, Wrestling Revolver has a first time ever dream match as Misaki Mochizuki for the first time in 10 years returns to the United States to face speedball Mike Bailey. This snuck up on me it was something that I, that we knew that but it was something that i was like oh no december is friday like it's now and i it, it, it's exciting though uh to see him there he only has two matches currently on this tour it's this and the brian keith match i don't have the date on that's the, on uh, sunday that's on sunday so he's he has these two shows and nothing announced so far yeah you know I, we heard uh Oh, months I, ago I, I, we well we we heard a a number and i and i i would assume it's it's real i trust you know who i heard it from but we, we heard a number of of what it cost to book mochizuki and uh it's certainly not in everybody's budget you know uh, i i talked to a promoter who was very into the idea of booking mochizuki and then i told them the number and they went well that's not gonna happen uh, and then I talked to um, another promoter. I didn't tell you this story. I talked to another promoter who was, and this is a quote. He's like, look, I fucking love Mochizuki. My audience does not care about this man. I am not putting him on my show unless it's cheap. And then I told him the price. He went, nope, not, I can't do it. Um, so, you know, he's he's demanding a certain amount of money that I I would assume is similar to maybe what it costs and i don't know this to be true i'm just assuming here you know to maybe like what a minora suzuki would cost to get on a show and as much as it might disappoint us he just doesn't have the cachet that somebody like that would have so uh, you know he he's doing wrestling revolver against speedball he's doing west coast pro against brian keith the good news is i do think actual human beings watch west coast pro so if he kills it there and i expect him to i expect a little bit of buzz to come from that which is really nice and uh, we'll see what happens. You know, I, I wish he was working more. I wish he was working in Chicago, but it just uh, just did not work out that way. Yeah, I was hoping he was going to get a date around here. I uh, still think he is being based in Texas, so there's a possibility of that. That's but, my understanding. Right, yeah, but we'll, we'll probably, over the next few weeks, we'll, we'll, we'll see what Mochi gets up to. I, I kind of feel like he's going he's gonna to be a little lonely. He's not going to have his dog around. No dog and no kid. No dog or no kid. Misaki Mochizuki left without any entanglements in the United States for a month. That's cool. no, but he's he's in the perfect two matches so far. You know, Speedball oh, yeah. and Brian Keith. I mean, other other than you know, selfishly, I'd want to see him versus Fred Yehai just because I like Yehai as a wrestler so much. These are the these are the two matches he should be in. So I hope they work out. I'm looking forward to watching them. Yeah, outside of these two guys, especially if where like the Indies are, like I I. I'd I'd like to see uh, Mochizuki versus Kevin Koo. I feel like that would be a very interesting match, but I, I can't see that match happening anywhere outside of Deadlock Pro, basically. Yeah, like a Kevin Koo or a Kevin Blackwood, I'd be in a both oh, yeah. of those. But it's you know, it's, I, I, again, you know, we we have an idea of what he's charging. It's like you yeah, know, I, I I can see why promoter is not like, well, shit, let me do Mochi versus Kevin Blackwood. You know, right. I, it, I, I get it it. it. it is something where I respect what Mochizuki is charging. And I respect why the bookers are saying not for us at that price. Yeah. So. Uh, like I said, I, t- I talked to somebody, well, I'll, t- I'll tell you who it was off here, who's a big Mochizuki fan. And then 
they they looked at at their promotion and they looked at the cost and they went ah, it's uh you gotta be a no for me brother <laughs> sadly sadly uh well case anything else you want to touch on before we got out of here this week no no i've i've covered everything i'm good Yep, well, that's going to do it for this edition of Open the Voice Gate. We'll be back with you next week. Uh, we're going to have a little bit of a shakeup for next week. We're going to leave that a little bit of a surprise, though, Case. We'll, 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 we'll let it be a surprise until it drops into people's podcast feed. But you can follow us on Twitter, X at Open Voice Gate. Case is at underscore in your case. I'm at Fujiheya. Thanks for listening to Open the Voice Gate. We'll be back with you next week. Take care. Uh, uh, uh. Hey now, it's Mike Gilbert, host of the Mike and JD Show, right here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Join JD by God Oliva and myself every Thursday night live on the Voices of Wrestling YouTube channel at 11.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time as we stay up all night discussing all the hottest stories in professional wrestling. You can also check us out right here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting feed or you can subscribe to the Mike and JD Show feed. Now, enjoy the show.